From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 119 of the Killing It podcast this is carl joined today by dave and ryan and we're doing things i'm going to nashville this weekend i went to a baseball game and i was so in my happy was in my happy place it was a great game the father was great i sat outside and a bunch of beer it's great (laughs) see the real world happened we went to a family birthday party we had a phenomenal time with people gathering outside although i can report from up here in the weather horizons of the of, of the now boiling Pacific Northwest, I survived the 110 degrees. I am oh. I am a, a person reasonably prone to sunburning, and I made it through the entire weekend without a single sunburn because I stayed where there was air conditioning on the inside. Smart man, smart man, <laughs> stay inside. I grew up in Yakima on the other side of the mountains, where 100 degrees is a fairly normal summer type thing. We used to make fun of people in Seattle who, like, melted at 80. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. They said this week that uh, 56% of all homes in western Washington and western Oregon do not have air conditioning. And it hit 110 or more in the city of Seattle three days in a row. It was, I will say, I can vouch for going outside and going, this is miserable. I don't want to do it. So I went back inside. Um, For those who don't have air conditioning very different existence so uh, uh we all might want to get working on some uh, if anybody wants to start a business to sell hvac systems in the pacific northwest now might be a good time to get into that business your opportunity has arrived it's, it's, it seems like you were not paying attention <laughs> perhaps that should have been useful before it hit <laughs> yes exactly there was a line outside of the lows in downtown seattle that began at 5 a.m. for people showing up on the day that it was 99. They showed up to buy fans and air conditioners and the entire stock of the store. Store opened at 6 and every single fan and et cetera in the store was sold out by 6.05. To which I said, you people will buy anything at any price. I think I might want to start figuring out things I want to sell to you. Exactly. That's true. So very true. Well, this week, we are brought to you by our friends at Ignite. Are you still using on-prem file servers and VPNs to share files with remote workers? Ignite is a business class cloud sharing solution that works more like your on-prem server than other solutions. With a security-first approach to file sharing and collaboration, Ignite offers multiple options for sharing files and collecting files from outside sources. And do it all addressing data governance and compliance. Want to learn more? Check out ignite.com slash MSP. And when you do, tell them we sent you. So our first topic today, guys, is one that perked my interest. It's an essay about addressing the cybersecurity skills gap through neurodiversity. Now, this is, you know, I, I, I've been doing a ton of thinking and, and you know, trying to figure out uh options and thoughts around diversity, inclusion, and, and equity. And I was really intrigued by this idea of applying neurodiversity, where the idea of the views of the spectrum of neurological differences, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, Tourette's, those kinds of things that are considered 
potential disorders, applying those natural variations of the brain and making sure they get applied to skill tasks like this, where creative thinking, where alternative thinking was kind of a really, what was a valuable skill within security. Uh, so we're highlighting the the uh, the piece. It's in uh, you know it's it's in the show notes. But I wanted to throw it out here for you guys in terms of discussion with, when with this piece. What were your reactions to this? Well, my first reaction was that you know there's there's always been people who are quote unquote on the spectrum, mm -hmm. who are really really good at things you and I don't have the the skills or the attention span for, and so. To be able to say, hey, you know what? Let's include them in the skill set for security. That's kind of cool. I'm not sure exactly how it works, <laughs> but, but but it's a it's actually a really great idea. You know, because uh, just because somebody's mind works a little differently doesn't mean it works wrong. It just is different, and that's easy to say. But you know, this is an example of saying, okay, let's put that to work. Um, I'm a huge believer, just as a business owner, that the more brains I have in the room, the better, because I always want new, different ideas. Um, otherwise, I can't come up with new, different uh, solutions, I, you know, products, uh, services, and so forth. Well, Carl, I think you make an excellent point there. Earlier this year, when, you know, we're we were in this hiring crunch and we're coming back out of the the pandemic shutdown and everybody's trying to find workers and oh no there's a labor shortage and there was an article that i read that i was fascinated by talking about the mistake of hiring for culture match because of the way that exactly as you're saying if i hire people who look like me, act like me, think like me, then I tend to get tunnel vision. I need to open up and actively recruit people who do not look, think, act, behave like I do in order to get that diversity of opinion. And on this program, we have talked at length about how one of the biggest problems in technology, whether it's in AI, machine learning applications, or in the design and function of, uh, of software applications, the fact that they were all written and designed by a bunch of very similar aged and gendered individuals, friendly way of saying it's a bunch of middle-aged white guys that are writing a bunch of software, and therefore, you know, facial recognition cameras don't recognize black faces, that, that's a problem we know is surfacing in our industry. We need to aggressively seek out these other opinions. I found this article to be a very nice breath of fresh air. The, the idea that not only can you recruit across the diversity spectrum, but that it's actually a functional advantage. Hey, now that's a really good piece of news. So the thing I really liked about it actually was it was also, it's also prescriptive. There's specific actions that you can take to get started on thinking this way. In particular, noting that job postings are black and white in terms of the information they're asking for and job requirements. But the idea of also making job post postings inclusive and less constrictive on what's required. Now, I actually wanna link this to a common refrain that I hear Anytime that I talk about kind of diversity efforts, and anybody knows that I'm doing some stuff over in business tech with this as well. And I always hear this pushback from business owners going, well, I'm just going to hire the most qualified person, regardless of their, of what, the, you know, of their race. And, and I, I always have to have to highlight how 
I get that that idea where you think, oh, I'm not thinking about that. But it's showing a lack of understanding of the system that puts those people in front of you. That's assuming that your job listing is not pushing people away or not including all of the potential candidates, just simply choice on your choice of language or the way you perspect it. Our friend Amy Babinchuk has, has some really fascinating stories about the way she's changed the way she writes her job descriptions and has increased the number of women that apply to the business just by choices of language. And so... Uh, and so the the piece that I really, you know, uh, that the reason I highlight this as much as I do is is that I think no one's saying you're you're not necessarily automatically wanting to to pick somebody based on their their face. What what, what I'm actually focusing on is, is are you looking at the systems further down to get the right type to to get more candidates or wider swaths and are you is something happening earlier not at the point where you make the decision on which person you hire but further down are you getting the right collection of people even to consider yeah and i was gonna say it reminds me of tony shea's book delivering happiness tony shea from zappos you know, he has these 10 criteria of like the people that they look for in their company. And one of their criteria is be a little weird, right? In other words, they want somebody who's got a little certain something where they may not fit into the nice box of bro culture that dominates so much of the technology industry. And um, being a little bit different I always use the term like you mix up the mental DNA, like literally I want different ideas uh, being thrown around. Uh, in my own companies, I've actually blogged about this. I have a very different kind of uh, hiring process. I literally tell people, if you send me your resume, you will be disqualified, <laughs> right? You have to send me a letter or a note just asking, you know, trying to demonstrate why I should ask for your resume. And then, you know, just tell me why you're different and interesting. And I get a lot of different, interesting people, but I also get some amazingly spectacular people that I wouldn't have gotten if I had some standardized test where you go for the best. Because unless you're looking for somebody who's the best at taking standardized tests, uh, you may not, you, you just can't guarantee you're going to get the best at it. Well, and in a very practical way, if your job listing includes anything related to the phrase must have five, 10, whatever number of years experience in doing the thing I'm asking you to do, then you are hard coding the status quo into the way you do things. If, if you have to have 15 years of experience in, do, in dealing with cybersecurity in order to work in my security analyst position, well, then I have to go back in time to 15 years ago and ask who had the opportunity to get those jobs then and what kind of training was made available to them then. By definition, that was yesterday and that's not the path to tomorrow. Nothing wrong with people who are experienced and capable and have deep, uh, deep experiences in working on this stuff, but we do need to aggressively open it up. And not to mention, they do this in the article here, uh, if forecast is double-digit growth rate category, average growth rate year-on-year year of the number of jobs for cybersecurity professionals over at least the next five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, if you think there's a problem with cybersecurity now, 
It's about to get worse. Well, I want to, and I'll, I'll give a, another piece of practical advice that was given to me as we close this one out. Uh, interview until you talk to people that look different. And what, what's interesting about that is, is the moment you don't, you always interview. So, for example, you say, I'm going to interview until I actually speak with a black person for this role. You will quickly find the problems in your recruiting process if you're not getting those candidates because it will take longer and you will start working on making the process better. <laughs> and if you iterate over that to make sure that you're always making sure that the pool is better, you will then start seeing a more diverse pool. And that's because you will find the problems within your own recruiting process that are potentially excluding them. Excellent point. Do it on purpose. It might actually happen. All right, guys, thank you for your thoughts on that topic. Let's jump into our second one here. This time we're going to focus on the other side of one of our favorite topics. We are fans of robots and automation, and we are waiting for the day that a burrito is going to be delivered. And yet there continue to be examples out here where maybe in some situations, robots aren't the magic answer. Now, the situation we're going to highlight in the information in the show notes is focused on a, a community in, in outside of Las Vegas, Nevada, that has deployed security robots to come around and observe and make sure that you are not doing bad things. And after a few years of using these robots, the statistics show, dun, 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 not very much change at all. Now, the question is, are the security robots here to help or are they actually going to make a difference? And if not, what is it that we can do to actually make these things a little bit more capable? What, what say you gentlemen? Well, the thing that was interesting to me is that they said, we can't really see that there's been much of a difference in crime but there's been a significant drop in the 911 calls. So <laughs> unfortunately, this falls into the category of be careful what you measure because that's what's gonna motivate people, right? Uh, if your goal is to reduce 911 calls, that's cool if it actually results, I mean, does that represent a reduction in crime? If it's just not annoying the police as much as it used to be, it isn't clear that you've done anything at all. <laughs> well, I love I loved this. And the reason I wanted to talk about it was because it was all about measurement, right? This was all about the, okay, we're trying something out. We're rolling out a business. We're trying things out. And then they're digging into the metrics. And because you, you might think your instinct might say, well, if we put security robots out there, they're going to start patrolling and it will all start working. And as they start digging into analyzing this, they're finding, well, wait a second. Perhaps not. <laughs> Perhaps this isn't working. And that, for me, was the, the bit where the, you know, it's, it's they're digging into evidence. In particular, you know, they're not able necessarily to find evidence of crime reduction due to these robots. This is, by the way, classic science, right? Like you try things, you test a theory, and you iterate over time to see if you get different results. That's not to say that I necessarily think, you know, oh, my God, this will never work. But the early data isn't great, so thus the try doing something different and see if you get different results. 
See, I'll go back to the concept. Uh, we'll borrow it from our friend, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Moore, in, the, in his book, Crossing the Chasm. Uh, we understand that there is early innovation, then there is later on mass market adoption. And in between those two phases of sales process, there is a chasm that is defined by a lack of skill to operate or to adopt not yet ready for primetime technologies. And what he points out is that the the bridge over the chasm for any kind of technology is what he terms the whole product solution. In other words, you can't just sell me one piece and then expect it to solve my problem. If I need to get to work and back every day and my transportation is my problem, you giving me an upgraded transmission is not going to help very much, right? I need a car. I need a better whole product. I think this is a perfect example where a robot on its own is not going to solve the problem of crime, but if it's connected, if it has network intelligence, if it is a, a smart device that can be controlled in an IoT context, maybe that kind of a system whole solution could solve the problem. But a robot on its own, it's just kind of a curiosity at this point. So I think one of the things that might come out of this is a shift in purpose. Uh, the company that makes these robots is not going away. They've already gotten bids from many, many law enforcement agencies. They've got robots deployed. And if it doesn't uh, reduce crime per se, what else can it do? And my guess is they're gonna say, well, okay, what's what has value that people would pay money for? And it might be that we're gonna find out that they're gonna turn these robots into something that helps build community and that might affect crime, uh, something where people feel safer and that might affect crime or uh, increase uh, you know, people's willingness to go out to the stores after dark or whatever. Um, but I could totally see them figuring out, like we got these robots, they're wandering down the street. They could become wandering kiosks of PR agencies for the police, right? They could do lots of things besides trying to directly reduce crime. So that's I think they're, they're not going away. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Besides, I'm a person who grew up in a world that was stories told by the Terminator movies. So I <laughs> begin the police robot conversation with a little bit of hesitancy. So I, I, I do appreciate a slow rollout of these kinds of machines. So it's certainly not RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Excellent technology, bad movie. Uh, arming them to the hilt and just shooting people is probably See, not where they're going to go. I'm going to disagree with you there. I think <laughs> Robocop is the first one is an excellent film, but a topic for another time. Exactly. <laughs> Killing it. The movie review segments will be coming on future episodes. Future episodes. Very good. All right. Well, I guess we've killed that topic. So uh, third topic today is uh, looking at the big giant battles of the giant uh, tech companies few things happened this week. So we now have multiple trillion dollar companies. And then we have some that are quite well on the way. Ironically, a, a judge dropped a case against Facebook and that made Facebook's stock go up. So now they're, <laughs> they're worth a trillion dollars for the first time ever because this judge dropped a lawsuit over uh, the consumption of Instagram and WhatsApp. Uh, other news a non-aggression pact between Google and Microsoft uh, has expired. 
And so the story we're linking to talks about how uh, those two companies may start throwing dirt on each other in public hearings rather than sort of settling their disputes between themselves. And that will once again get Congress to start looking at those two companies. Um, and finally, in uh, what Ryan describes as a frustrating development, <laughs> um, we have uh, a woman who was uh, is the head of the uh, Federal Trade Commission and is basically being told you have to recuse yourself from being involved in uh, in these cases. And of course, that's never going to happen. Um, but it is interesting that you know we've got these public companies that are so big and have so much money, but don't seem to have a lot of common sense about how to manage their own reputation in front of Congress or the American people. Well, so I have to I have to start with the Google and Microsoft non-aggression pact being being let to expire because uh, my theme on this is like look and we've talked about it regulations coming and they know it and they're not going to fight this at all without with it with a arm tied behind their back. So for each of them, self-preservation is now taking over. And Google and Microsoft before felt it was better to band together. Now they're looking, going, this, these waters are getting get choppy. And by the way, Microsoft, to their credit, has generally stayed out of the fray. So you can completely see why they would be wanting to say, well, you know, the rest of you are much more the targets. We definitely don't want to be linked to you all as you're taken on so for yeah, so, microsoft's kind of taken the route of we learned our lesson 20 years ago now right. it's your turn exactly which and and to that point when one wonders how it is in a modern society that we arrive at a point where there are a few humongous companies that control almost everything in a corner of an industry well the fact that there are such things as non-aggression packs among the players <laughs> Uh, you know, there once was a time when that was referred to as not a monopoly, but a cabal, right? Like they're they're getting close in the oligarchy kind of a way of we're all looking out for each other's interests. I won't say anything bad about you if you don't say anything bad about me. Um, that leads to where we are today. The fact that the government and the court system is backing off of some of these uh, breakup proposals and that uh, that that their the past efforts have not been successful the the encouragement that I will take out of this and by the way I'm gonna say I'm not for or against breaking up any of these companies I, I, I it is to be determined whether or not there is a better way forward if they have done something explicitly wrong however what I can observe is that since the papers that are referred to in, in this article came out. And since we started to hear about this antitrust thing, there are half a dozen or more new pieces of legislation in the federal Congress looking to redefine antitrust issues in a high tech world. To Dave's point, this is coming. This kind of regulation is going to happen. And these these guys want to be involved in the fight. So. They're going to take off their non-aggression pact. It's not all just antitrust or monopoly. Uh, you know, it's like, I mean, I personally, I think Amazon is the worst offender in terms of they actually do harm. They actually uh, do things that uh, make them non-competitive. Um, it's not clear to me that Google does that. I choose Google search. You choose Google search. 92 people out of every 100 choose Google search, right? 
I don't know that Google is doing something that keeps other people out of that market. Now they might be, and I just don't know about it. Um, but well, it's the it's the, the ad. To be fair, it's the ad market. Um, is is so, if you think it, it's I'm much more interested because that's how they make money, and it's the ad. And there are two players: Facebook and Google. Right, but but it's one thing to say, well, okay, maybe they're they are not being anti-competitive on some ground. The other question is. Is there a public good that needs to be protected? And and that's where I think, uh, I don't think Congress is anywhere close to actually deciding that there's some public good that needs to be protected or a, a public bad that needs to be punished. And until they do that, it's really hard to take old monopoly laws and apply them to uh, social media and modern technology companies. There is yeah. an argument being made around the fact that the uh, that the case was thrown out at all that says exactly that that the pro- problem that the judges are facing is is that the laws are not appropriate for current technology and and market factors, um, and so there is l- potentially an argument here for the where the regulation will come is, is, well, they're going to redefine much of the way this is all measured for exactly that well, reason. Yeah, and, and maybe a, a an electronic monopoly is different than an industrial monopoly, right? Because right? these these laws literally are 120 years well, old. And well, and the judgment of consumer harm is very difficult to measure when services are free necessarily to the consumer and right. so they've they have changed that level of the game and so the measurement stick that is generally used which by the way isn't necessarily codified it's just the interpretation that has been used may need to be updated and reevaluated well and this is this is where again to a running theme amongst those of us here in the killing it world um this regulation is going to come there will be i i I have hope that we will get updated approaches to control that kind of monopoly power in our industry as well as privacy and and uh, individual information as well as data security I have high hope because we might actually get to a point where the people writing that legislation are uh, familiar with the technology that they're writing legislation about. And we keep saying here on this podcast, you all in the audience need to get involved in this conversation and influence the direction of the regulation and legislation because it is, well, A, it's your gig, right? It's your industry that's about to be regulated and B, the folks that have previously been writing legislation about it don't even begin to understand it. So maybe those of all y'all who are experts in this stuff ought to be participating in the writing of this legislation. I think there's also some sense that big when it gets beyond our comprehension of big becomes too big and that there's some inherent evil that is built into being big uh i I think that's an argument that needs to to be explained to me uh because i don't i don't buy the all big must necessarily be bad or that the biggest is always evil and everybody who isn't the biggest uh is somehow you know less evil um (laughs) There are big companies that that uh, are not evil, um, but there's always going to be a number one, and number one is always going to be the biggest, no matter what you do, no matter what laws are in place. Well, and so, I mean, it, you know, there has to be a separate discussion about what constitutes good, bad, I mean, and uh, and in Godzilla versus Mothra, there's always still the loser <laughs> on the ground, 
right? And I think that's that's a certain degree is, is like you know is you can have this argument of about the okay, well the big isn't necessarily bad, but it's the well if the little guy is always getting stepped on in the in the city while the monsters fight it all out, there it doesn't matter necessarily if there's evil if the little guy is just getting crushed. And I think while that's certainly humorously oversimplification that's intentional to sort of say like we actually do have to think about this the consequences of size but, but, but that's where the question comes in of okay like i i literally like and i i know that i'm picking on amazon but they deserve it because they are evil <laughs> um with amazon i can actually point to actions where they are competing against their suppliers they are putting small companies out of business intentionally after stealing their ideas right i mean they they've done lots of those things in terms of is Facebook a better social medium than Twitter or like, it's not clear to me where I am harmed in that conversation. Well, or that the, the harm might be in your Google example, uh, a little bit easier to understand in the context of Google gets better at search and at advertising every single day. What they do now is related to and evolved from their previous offerings, but the software and the algorithms are radically advanced because they continue to advance them. But I dare you or anybody in the sound of our voices to start up a new digital advertising firm tomorrow, even if you have some flash of lightning that gives you the world's most advanced algorithm for displaying digital advertising, because I guarantee you, no matter how good your idea is and no matter how beneficial it might be to the world, it will never make it past angel funding because there is a dominant player that will stomp on you in the city streets before you ever get to any scale at all. I will point out 20 years ago, that player was Yahoo. <laughs> Well, sure, but but also antitrust uh, antitrust efforts by the government created companies like Google. So you know, it, is that oftentimes just the scrutiny can change the dynamics of of a marketplace and allow new players to enter in that become the next big thing. We shall see. And you know, Facebook uh, uh, killed uh, the uh, what's it called? Even now, I can't remember. MySpace. The Radio Star. Yeah, killed the Radio Star. <laughs> No, video killed the radio star. <laughs> All righty. Well, I think we're, we've had fun. We've uh, educated a little bit, and we've had a good time. Please, if you like this, if you hate it, if you have any comments, put them into the show comments. And also, share this with your friends. Give it a thumbs up on social media. Subscribe to the, the channel if you have not already. And uh, do good things for us. We appreciate it. We very much do. All right. With that, we will conclude episode 119 of the Killing It, Killing it! podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.